Thursday afternoon. Wow. It's a hot one. <laughs> the Brea World Headquarters. Let me see. Um, let me see what the temperature is outside right now. Brea, partly cloudy, 68. 68. I guess it's nope, not. Nope, 69. Uh, okay. Sorry, just went up a, a degree. So that's, uh, that's brisk, brisk around here. My goodness. California. Well, hello, Facebook. Hello, Internet. We just finished uh, recording the podcast, and as always, we love hearing your thoughts and questions, and uh, we make no promises about how good our answers are. We just think there's power in uh, asking the questions. So uh, lay it on us, Andrew. Oh, sorry. I was just uh, checking our levels and all that stuff. So how you, how you, are our you levels? You looking for questions? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Why not? All right. Okay. All right. Here we go. All right. Um. I am I am I am inundated with the length of these questions now. I know it's insane. They keep getting longer. <laughs> Can you fix your mic? It looks really crazy right now. Hello. <laughs> um, okay, number one. Why do you pray to Jesus when he clearly instructs us to pray to God his father? Whoa. Will LGBTQ ever receive the same grace and full inclusion? Is this the same question? This is the same question. Okay. Um at least it was lumped in with the same question. This might No, I think it I think it is. Okay. Will LGBTQ ever receive the same grace and full inclusion in the church as people that have been divorced? It's a very confusing and irritating that while divorce is very clearly against God's Jesus, Jesus and other biblical leaders teaching, we allow them grace and fully include them in the church, court, right. which is awesome. Leadership and even allow remar remarriage, also a biblical no-no. All the while, LGBT people deeply desire to be a part of the church community, yet barely are allowed to come inside and if they are, they are told they cannot be full members, share their stories publicly, married, and serve in leadership. I remember this actually think being two different questions when it came into this. Okay. So anyways, we could address both. Whatever. Okay. Sure. Um, so we have uh, at least one example of uh, Stephen praying to Jesus um, when he is being put to death. Um, we also have in Revelation and other places, Jesus receiving the same worship that would have been given to the Father. And so... Um, to pray in Jesus' name um, is also to pray as Jesus himself would have prayed. And uh, so I think you're right. I think the, 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 like the paradigm is praying to the Father in the name of Jesus through the power of the Spirit. Um, but I think there, because of my view of the Trinity, I think there's great permission to ask the Spirit to do things, to, uh, to give praise and thanks to Jesus, to pray to the Father. Um, so I, am not terribly rigid when it comes to, well, it's gotta be this way, this way, this way. I don't think, I don't think, you know, when Jesus taught us to pray, uh, our father in heaven, um, I think Jesus, what, what Jesus is doing there is, is beautiful. And he's recapitulating a bit of Israel because Israel was considered God's son. And so Jesus now in, in using the father, as God's son, and now his, his, his followers can join in in that privilege of calling God Abba Father. Um, it's more than just a, well, we're honoring God the Father. I don't see it that mechanically. I don't see it that contractually. I think that to address God um, is to address the, the Trinity. I think there are times when um, I, I, I feel great permission in the scriptures to address what the Spirit does to, to reveal Jesus, what the, what the Son does is to bring glory to the Father. Uh, and what the Father does, which is to to uh, exalt Jesus as the name above all names. So because yeah. of that sort of mutual submission, exaltation, I feel permission to pray kind of as we go. 
I could be I could be totally wrong on that, but that's the reason I do it. In terms of LGBTQ, we've spent a lot of time on the podcast. So if you're if you're hearing this and you were the questioner, we spent a lot of time. Literally, the first podcast we did um, on Vox was about the double standard between divorce and LGBTQ people. And so the the instead of me um, kind of rehashing that, we've probably got what six or seven episodes. Yeah. on some of those questions because we, we see the double standard too that um, divorce Jesus talks about it Jesus is very clear about it and yet um, that's no longer an issue in in most American churches now I, I do think it's been misunderstood a bit so I think there is some teaching in there like I, I don't agree that remarriage is a no-no um, if the divorce is uh, is permitted uh, I think I think remarriage in those instances is actually built into the permission to divorce. So I'm not sure I agree with everything, but I do agree 100% with the double standard, and uh, and that's why we're trying to, um, at least in our little church community, we're trying to eliminate those double standards to say, listen, um, we're all in process. Um, we're not going to just preach against the sins we're not guilty of. Um, we're going to give great room for people who are affirming to share the table with people who are not affirming and give permission for people who are not affirming to bless and serve those who are affirming. And, uh, and so far, you know, it's imperfect, but it's, it's working. So, so with you on the double standard, no question about it. Okay. Number two, or yeah, (laughs) (laughs) uh, two a, um, B if we're going to suffer our whole lives, why should we put time and energy into following God? Why not just be kind to others and distract ourselves from the pain? It's disheartening to follow someone who doesn't help with the pain. Ah, ooh, that's interesting. Um, boy, a couple of thoughts. Number one, um, I'm not sure if by help with the pain you mean always remove it, then yes, God does not always help with the pain. No right. question about it. But that also presupposes that that's God's sole function. And that doesn't include the idea or open up the possibility that God uses the pain to do something redemptive and positive in us. Um, and it precludes the idea that, that the point of human, hum, human existence isn't the 70 years we're here. Uh, there's something much bigger in view. So why would you follow God even if there's pain? Well, first, um, to, to what God adds to pain that I don't know that you can find elsewhere is purpose and meaning to it. In other words, it's the hope that the, the pain itself isn't always of God or hardly ever of God, but that God will bring good from it. Uh, it's not just something you endure because it was bad luck. It's not something you endure because, you know, you just had a genetic bad hand. Uh, but it's something that God can use to bring beauty and truth and goodness into the world. Um, and he's so good at it that sometimes we think he caused the pain, but I, I'm not sure that's always true. Um, the second reason to follow God is because I, I think that following God re, um, redefines what counts as pain and what counts as um, uh, discomfort. <laughs> yeah. um, Paul has this great line. He says, I don't consider our light and momentary um, our struggles, our light and momentary struggles to be to compare in any way, shape or form with the eternal glory that awaits us all. Um, so it actually relativizes pain into something else. Um, namely, um, a blip on the radar, an enemy to be defeated, a uh, something to be endured that won't always be here. 
Um, and then lastly, I mean, the, the great Christian testimony. I mean, I just had a, a friend of mine um, who I, I love dearly, lost his wife. Um, he's, uh, she's, she was 45. She died last Saturday from uh, cancer. Uh, they'd given her six months. She lived a year and battled like nobody's business. And the amount of good that I think has come from that, okay, that's one thing. But what God, how God has met them in the pain. See, that's the thing. If you just mean, why follow God if he doesn't help with the pain? And you mean by that, just remove it. Okay. Um, yeah, he doesn't always remove it. There, I, I, there are times he does. But I think the far more prevalent practice of God is to meet us in it and to transform us through it and to take the pain and do something redemptive with it. And uh, what he, my friend would say is that they've encountered me, text me this, and even his little kids, he's got four kids now. He's a single dad with four kids. They've, the kids have said, we've gotten to know Christ in ways that we would never have gotten to know him otherwise. Now, that doesn't mean they wouldn't trade that to have Nancy back. Um, but it does mean that there's something that God does in pain that, that if just being kind and distracting, okay, but then that's meaningless. And um, it just sucks to be you if you get a bad hand. There's something more beautiful about what God does in the midst of it that I think is very compelling. Okay. Wow. <laughs> I know, it's a great question. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, okay, number three, how do we go about changing our hearts to want something better, like wanting broccoli over ice cream? Yes. Is that change? I'm, I'm, I'm working on that. <laughs> it's an example I use all the time. Yeah. It's not just enough to avoid ice cream, but I want to be the kind of person that loves broccoli. Yes. Okay, so it's not just enough to avoid sin. I want to be the kind of person that loves God. Okay, yeah. go ahead. Go ahead. Is the change something we should strive towards ourselves? Is that, the, is that only done through prayer, or is it a combination of the two? Oh, it's always a combination. So spiritual formation uh, or, or spiritual transformation is always the cooperative work of the human agent and um, the divine agency of the of the work of the spirit in the heart of the person, and so so I mean this. Um, if you want more on this, read Dallas Willard's Spirit of the Disciplines or Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline, because what I think happens, the way I've understood it, is that the the disciplines of the spirit are our part in opening ourselves up to the transformative grace of God. So I can't transform myself, but what I can do is open myself up to what can transform me. So it's so one, one dumb example is I ran a marathon 10 years ago. Um, you don't just wake up one day and run a marathon. You actually, you know, you I ran half a mile, I think was the first day. <laughs> well, you okay? Even thinking about running half a mile, it's just, <laughs> it just sends me into convulsion. Sorry. Um, <clears throat> pardon me, Facebook Live. Uh, I, what I did is I ran half a mile and then the next day I ran like a, a 0.6 of a mile and the next day 0.7 of a mile. And so I went into training, but what the training did is the training put me in a situation to do something I could never have done on my own by direct effort. And so the idea is that the reason we pray, the reason we open ourselves up to the scriptures and the community of God and to worship, to solitude, to silence, to Sabbath, to these ancient spiritual practices is because they open us up to the transformative grace of God. We can't transform our desires ourselves. But what we can do is put ourselves in situations where des our desires get transformed. <coughs> My goodness. <coughs> oh, it's Facebook Live. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> Holy cow. 
And so, so does that make sense, Andy Bear? Yes. Does that make sense? So, yeah, of, gotcha. of course. So it's workout. Paul puts it this way. <coughs> <laughs> That's how he puts it. Man, I swallowed oh, man. something funny. This is good. This is yeah, good. you're welcome. <laughs> it's still there. Oh, no. <coughs> you know, we run a tight, tight ship. Tight ship at the Vox World Headquarters. My goodness. Okay. Um, Paul puts it this way. Work out your salvation, for it is, a, it is God who is at work within you. And both are true. And so we have a part to play, but our part is only to open ourselves up to the part <coughs> that God has to play. I ate a granola bar, and there's this little bit of granola. <laughs> it's just sitting right there. Oh. My goodness. <coughs> okay. Okay. All right, Andy, talk for a while. Let are me we, just oh. swallow. Okay. Oh. What's our next one? Um, our next one. Is these are great questions. Yeah, these are great questions. I'll read slow. <laughs> I was excited to learn more of Christ's fulfillment of the law from Jesus' teaching, especially as it is the final week of Ramadan. Mm. This past Friday, Saturday, I had the honor of staying with the Muslim family and fasting with them. Oh, wow. And becoming closer these past few months, each time I leave their home in awe of how there is no dichotomy with faith and life. Right. Yet at the same time, a complete brokenness for, for their life without Jesus Christ. Yes. I've received mixed responses from Christians saying that Shocking. I should be more bold with our differences. Yes. Or not respond so openly. Um, is that right? Should I be more moved, moved in anger by their misinterpretation oh of goodness. God? Oh, my goodness. Oh. Yes, because absolutely they'll respond better if you um, disassociate yourself with them, focus on areas of disagreement, and and then uh, respond in anger. What? <laughs> we are so dumb. Paul would never have done anything like that. In fact, in Acts 17, we see him in Athens um, in a city that was full of idolatry, honoring them publicly for their objects of worship, yeah. um, and then very gently... Uh, presenting a different view. I just think that that was never the approach of Jesus. That was never the approach of Paul. Um, we we just actually did a podcast, like the one we recorded today, will be really relevant to that conversation. Because if you approach people of other faith traditions with just, well, let's, let's compare doctrine and let's argue doctrine, you're never going to get anywhere. If you approach them out of relationship, kindness, and showing them the beauty of Jesus of Nazareth without you know, every string, theological string attached. My experience has been people are fascinated by him. And so, no, I think you're, I think, I think that's absolutely remarkable that you would um, join with them in fasting for Ramadan. I think that's incredible. And I think you to be an agent of blessing in their home, to be an agent of joyful confidence in what you think to the point where you don't have to critique them to, to, uh, to feel secure or to feel like you're somehow, doing Jesus a favor, not even remotely. Your presence there as a Christian, your, um, your willingness to, to, um, to join them and incarnate with them in their faith tradition and, and its celebration, I think is absolutely remarkable. And um, it, wouldn't, it, it just wouldn't shock me that God would use that openness uh, to draw them to himself. I, I think the absolute worst, please don't listen to the Christians that say it's that anger, maximizing our differences, and um, and making sure that they know they're wrong. Uh, that is never the approach. Never, not once, is the approach. So now Jesus will do that with people who are already um, in his religious uh, tribe. Jesus will do that with, with Christians. 
Uh, but right. he would he would never do that with Muslims. In fact, we have so many stories of Jesus appearing to Muslims in dreams um, that it's it's absolutely remarkable what Jesus is doing in the Muslim world. So I, I think you are joining him in his work, and I think you could have full confidence in that. Yeah, awesome. Boom. All right, wrap it up. So I think I'm going to live. Um, I know you, we were worried there for a while. But as always, we are. Uh, this is always just a fun add-on for us on, uh, on Thursday when we record. We love your feedback. We love your questions. Um, and, uh, and we always benefit greatly. So anyway, tune in to Vox Podcast uh, coming, coming out next Monday. And uh, until then, have a good Facebook day. Go out and live. 